Hey, hey, welcome back to the Athlete Emerging Podcast. I am Heidi Nielsen, and this is my story of transforming my mind and body into those of an athlete. If you like what you hear, come join me on Instagram at Athlete Emerging. I profile the whole journey in pictures there. Also, you're always welcome to email me, Heidi, H-E-I-D-I, at athleteemerging.com. And if you want to help me get more listeners to this podcast, one of the best ways to do that is to leave a review and a rating on iTunes. This episode, I'm going to share with you my experience with going on a 10-day silent meditation retreat, how that relates to my fitness, and how it kind of changed everything. I got a lot to share with you, so let's jump right on in. The Athlete Emerging Podcast. Okay, so in the last episode, I was filling you guys in on the wrap-up of the Get Fat Online Staff Challenge and the big contest that I set out in it to win it and did not win. (laughs) After contest, uh, as I mentioned in the last video, my next goal that I set out for myself was prepping for my first fitness competition. It was an idea that sounded really great in theory. I had a lot of momentum coming off of that first contest when I was shooting my entry video before the contest results came out. And if I was going to head into competition, I was going to compete in the fitness division, where you, in addition to getting on stage and posing and flexing muscles in a bikini, you also get to do a two-minute dance, gymnastics, acrobatic skills routine. And that's the part that really appeals to me. I love developing new physical skills. I love really getting a chance to perform and put on a show. And unfortunately, the fitness division, as I've mentioned in previous episodes, is really shrinking. Uh, It was huge in popularity in the late 80s. (laughs) And uh, if you think about fitness routines with high kicks and different kinds of push-ups and all this, those may be the images that come to mind. And it's getting harder and harder to find shows that offer this division. So coming out of this contest the end of the year... I was like, you know what, let me let me go for this while there's still a fitness division to compete in. It would really suck to put it off for another day and then have it be something that doesn't even exist anymore. So I'm headed into contest prep mode. It's the beginning of the year, 2015, and everything shifts. It's kind of crazy. Leading up to that point, this whole journey... I'd really only compared myself, if doing any comparison at all, to who I was before and the body that I was in in the recent past. And so however the journey was going, it was never worse than the recent past. And generally, it was full of positive surprises and I got to delight myself and be excited about the future and what I was creating. And as soon as my head got into competition prep, the knowledge that fitness competition is this big thing that people sacrifice so much for and just try to come in absolutely ripped and with minimal body fat. And I started internally comparing myself to what I thought I was supposed to look like to fit in on stage. Now, it's not even about winning for me. It was just, I don't want to be that 
person, and maybe this is super judgmental of me and something that I need to work on. Maybe other people don't look at it this way, but I feel like sometimes if you see pictures from these shows and there's maybe that one or two competitors every so often where it's like, oh, good for them for having the courage to get up on stage. But kind of like they don't really look like they belong there you know I don't want people to have the pity good for you for having the courage like yeah you're not really in great shape but man you put on that bikini and got up there anyway like that's been my story all my life I've always been able to put on the smile and either have the confidence and not carrying it sometimes or fake it at other times and I don't want to be in that position now I wanted to be on that stage looking like I belong there and what came with that was a fear of not um, you know finishing the staff challenge right around the turn of the year I was in the best shape that I've been in my adult life but I don't think yet in a shape where I would feel like I belonged in fitness competition I think I would still feel in that new context like the fat girl even though that's not who I feel like in normal life anymore I didn't really realize that I was running these comparisons and recontextualizing my journey such to make myself the fat girl again until I caught myself a few weeks into the year no not in a few weeks into the year a few weeks after Christmas and I'd stashed the Christmas candy in the freezer for some later date after fitness competition and I was I don't know 10 15 little tiny mini peanut butter cups and crackles and baby Snickers bars deep into that bag of candy eating them frozen not even caring that they were hard and crunchy just mindlessly binging out on this chocolate and I was kind of freaking out and I was also kind of freaking out oh this was another thing that started the binge dropping significant not huge compared to what other people have been through but significant amounts of weight in a relatively fast period of time I feel like my weight loss was totally healthy paced but still relatively quick uh, can leave you with some extra skin that just needs a little bit of time to catch up and I wasn't liking what was going on with my skin right around the turn of the year and I did some research online classic good idea slash bad idea and you know one of the things that I saw was if you're having extra skin you are losing weight too fast be careful because you could be permanently damaging the skin and it will never snap back so you need to slow down your weight loss and some part of my mentality just saw that and went, oh, slow down the weight loss. Okay, let me start eating everything in sight so that I don't have to deal with this extra skin anymore. So interesting, these little subtle causes of self-sabotage that spring up on our journey. And I love slowing down and stopping and looking and saying, hey, what's going on? When I talk about it after the fact, I make it sound like you know I had full conscious awareness of these mechanisms 
but let me not give you that impression. I mean, I will be deep in the confusion and the misery and the holy crap, why am I stuffing my face full of chocolate? I, I thought that I wasn't a person who did this anymore. What's wrong with me? I've lost all of my progress. Where did all my skills go? What the hell? I'm out of this contest and now suddenly I have no control. And running all of that until eventually something happens to interrupt that pattern. More often than not, it's either Coach Brian or my wonderful sweetheart Jay saying, hey, what? <laughs> I hear that you're really upset and you're saying all of this, but what's, you know, what's really going on? They, they get that somewhere I've gotten off track with the fundamental principles I set for my journey, you know, about this being coming from a place of self-acceptance and love and enjoyment of the process and choosing to better myself just because I want to, not because there's anything wrong not because I'm broken in any way, not because I need to be punished uh, with all this, all this stuff that I ran in my head in the past, you know? So uh, I think, I think I had conversations with both of them. In fact, I'm, I'm certain that I did uh, to finally get me to the clarity that I have now of, oh, I started comparing myself unfavorably, which led to the desire to self-punish and feel like I would never get there. And uh, I got scared by this skin issue and this thing stuck in my brain that said, slow down your weight loss. So I was eating to slow down my weight loss. Uh, and it all makes perfect sense as soon as you can get enough distance from it to look kind of objectively and say, hey, okay, what's going on? So that's where I was in early January. Um, not happy, not really excited about the idea of heading into competition prep. Um, it, it still was something that I wanted to take on, but it was freaking me out. Adding to the stress of that, I had committed myself months before to go on a 10-day Vipassana silent meditation retreat. Vipassana is a particular uh, school of thought or way of teaching meditation. And they offer these 10-day intensive retreats in centers all over the world throughout the year. Uh, there'll be a link in the show notes in case it's something that you want to check out. I had been waitlisted for a couple of their different retreats in the past, and it never really actually worked out to go. I'd heard about them years ago in college and was really intrigued by the idea. I mean, it's an incredible opportunity. They don't even charge for these retreats. They subsist entirely off of donations from past students and you have the opportunity to contribute to another student's experience if you want at the end of the program but they really don't pressure you around that and they give you a place to live and food and all of this instruction for 10 days at no charge um, it's really really kind of incredible and I, I'd wanted to explore it I mentioned in past episodes that there's a quite a bit of spirituality in my background and in my current life practices and I keep a more active at sometimes than others meditation practice so having finally been just straight out accepted and booked in advance enough into one of these retreats I really didn't want to cancel it 
but I knew that it was going to be 10 days of no working out. Um, they request that you not do any exercise beyond simple walking around the grounds so that you're not distracting to other participants because it's really about focusing on the meditation while you're there. And also 10 days where I would have zero control over my food. You know, you are eating the meals that they prepare there. And this is all part of what they lay out in advance before you apply for the programs. And the way that the schedule was looking, there was a show that I wanted to do, the Emerald Cup. And I wanted to do the Emerald Cup. It happens up in Seattle each year. Um, I wanted to do it because when I looked at a bunch of different shows results online, meaning how past competitors had placed in those shows in past years, because all that information is online, I think for every NPC show, NPC being the National Physique Committee, they're one of the biggest organizations that holds these amateur bodybuilding competitions. So on the NPC site, I'd seen that the Emerald Cup was really the only competition that I could find that had a consistent, strong turnout in the fitness division. And I really didn't want to go into my first show being the only fitness division competitor and getting up and doing this little dance routine, being the only one doing this whole separate thing while everyone else is just doing the posing stuff and walking home with my trophy by default. You know, I, I wanted to meet other competitors in this sport and to share camaraderie. And what I've found on Instagram is that there's a real sisterhood among fitness division competitors because there are so few of us and those of us that are there are there because we're really passionate about the sport and want to share that with each other and want to keep it alive and um, you know so there's there's no room for this kind of like cattiness and backbiting at least that I've seen so far just in kind of getting to know some of the other competitors through social media while I feel out if it's something that I really do want to take on or not so the way the timing worked out though for the Emerald Cup I would come back from this silent retreat in who knows what kind of condition no way really to tell what affect 10 days of zero lifting, zero intense cardio, zero eating on a fitness focused meal plan would have on my body. You know, I kind of imagine losing all of the strength that I had built over the last nine months and being back at square zero, if that's even a place. And then from there, I had just over 14 weeks before the Emerald Cup. And a standard competition prep tends to run about 12 weeks. So that would be fine for a seasoned competitor. But I am by no stretch of the imagination a seasoned competitor. I am not even someone who was going from having comfortably been a fit girl for a while and then deciding to take it to the next level and compete. I would be going straight from having always seen myself as overweight and struggling with my weight, just barely hitting fit, just barely feeling some identity change around that and then right away pushing into the extreme of competition and only having 14 weeks to get stage ready, which would be a, a short period of time for a new competitor who still had quite a bit of body fat to strip off. Uh, just 
kind of a daunting prospect. But the Emerald Cup only comes around once a year. And am I going to wait a whole year to take it on? I don't know. You know I, I just didn't know what to do with myself at this point. I um, After that big day of, of the Christmas candy binge out, I made a tentative decision that I was not going to compete yet. It was just throwing me way too far off of the principles that I'd centered this journey on. And I wanted to take some time to arrive there and be there first to really build the solid fit life skills, healthy lifestyle habits of an athletic, normal person before charging into the uh, supposedly neurotic, obsessive extremes of competitive fitness. So I decided to assume that I was putting competition plans on hold, keeping the possibility open that I might change my mind, but kind of trying to set that down to head off to this retreat. I had considered giving up the retreat instead and charging ahead with competition and having a little bit more focused time for prep, but Coach Brian pointed out the fact that it could be a really great reset to go take this 10 days away. I had been pushing really hard through the the staff challenge those last eight weeks of the year, and it could be a great chance to give my body and my mind some rest. And if I did want to compete, I could come back fresh and hit it hard and be rested and renewed and not just trying to slog through this endless uphill climb. So whether I was going to compete or not, I decided to go ahead with the silent retreat. The time came, I got all the preparations made so that the business could run without any involvement from me because I was not allowed cell phone access, email access, there's no contact with the outside world when you're in these programs. And oh lordy lord, that was stressful. I was in the midst of putting all of those, getting all those ducks in a row when the big chocolate binge out happened. So pretty sure that that was at least in part driven by that extra stress as well. Finally get to the retreat. All of the ducks are in a row, shut off the cell phone for the week. And it was, it was an incredible experience. Uh, It started off one of the first things that they did was just check in with us really multiple times saying, okay, once you start this, you have to stay for the whole thing. Like, so can you commit to being here the full 10 days? However intense it may get for you internally, like you're putting yourself in danger if you start this and then kind of leave early, which makes sense, right? Because you could be stirring up some kind of old mental issue inside and open up some kind of can of worms and be all in trauma and decide to leave. And then you're just kind of like stuck in this upset thing instead of actually staying with it and working through it and getting to a place of resolution and a place of stillness. Like I got that. Um, But it was kind of funny really was how it registered 
be sitting there at the beginning of this 10 days and just having it reiterated over and over like, okay, you're in for this whole thing. <laughs> I was like, all right. Uh, I worked through with them the first day that I got there, getting permission to use some protein powder in the evening because they only serve tea and fruit uh, at dinner time. The, the, they encourage you to eat lightly so that you're not falling asleep from digesting while you're trying to meditate. And I just really didn't want to eat up all the muscle that I've been working so hard over the last nine months to build. So it seemed like the, the smallest thing that I could do was, you know, at least have some protein powder with that evening tea break. Uh, and I did receive permission for that, so that was very nice. I just took my little protein powder and a shaker bottle discreetly into the tea hall with me each of those evenings. Uh, I was hoping to be able to use more protein powder throughout the day to really kind of more mimic what my life was like at home in terms of protein intake, which has been a big part of my dieting recently. And I, I did not get permission for that. I only got permission for to do it in the evening time. That was an interesting first challenge for me to work through and I was really upset about it and I, I went out and you know, this was in a beautiful desert setting in 29 Palms and I went out and sat on a rock by myself out in the desert and I found myself just starting to cry. I was so frustrated that it felt like I had to give up all of this progress that I'd made on the fitness front in order to come have this spiritually transformative week. And I realized as I was having this good cry out there that that was a limiting belief that I've been holding on to for a long time. This idea that my progress in the physical world and having a rich, vibrant spiritual life are somehow mutually exclusive. So realizing that belief allowed me to cry out the tears that I needed to cry around this protein thing and then realize that the issue really wasn't whether I was drinking protein powder or not and that this issue with the protein powder had in fact come up so that I could recognize that I had this belief that I couldn't make steady consistent full optimal progress on material life goals and also really be centered and evolving and becoming more conscious and more compassionate and everything on the spiritual line. So I gave myself permission to actually allow those two to exist side by side. And that kind of set the tone for going into the retreat in a really powerful way. I don't know if you can hear, but it was a really big shift for me. And it kind of just started this spiral of big shifts over the week. Uh, that first night, I also met my roommate, who I wouldn't be able to talk through, talk to through the course of the week. We we're supposed to avoid even eye contact or any kind of physical gesturing. They really just encouraged us to cultivate a practice in solitude. But my roommate was an aerialist who had brought along some little hand squeezing tools to keep her grip strong and received permission to be doing her grip strength exercises. So I was like, okay, cool. Well, if I'm doing some stretching and maybe squeezing in some push-ups over here in the corner, I won't be bothering her because she gets it. So that was really nice. Uh, a little reassurance that 
the person who, even though I wouldn't have any communication with, I would be sharing the room with and in the closest physical proximity to was somebody on a, on a similar path who would kind of get me. So it was nice to have that support throughout the week. I won't go into all of the nitty gritty detail of the day by day, um, partially because if anyone is called to do this 10 day experience, um, I actually would really encourage you to do that and to discover it fresh for yourself. I don't want my telling of my experience with it to rob anyone else of the richness of theirs. But what I do want to highlight is some of the key learnings that came out of the practices that we were doing. The first really came out of the core principles of the Vipassana teachings, which are about impermanence and non-identification with things in the world around us and even things in our own bodies, because everything is changing all the time. It's a very, very Buddhist sort of way of looking at the world. But the practice is really centered around experientially getting that concept by becoming aware of everything that's changing all the time, uh, including in our own bodies. It, it was a very, very physical practice, which I didn't know, I didn't expect going in and was delighted to discover. It resonated so well with me on this very physical journey that I've been on. And one thing that I got out of this notion of impermanence and the idea that if something's changing all the time, it doesn't make sense to wrap my identity up in it and to feel like my self-worth is correlated to any of these ever-changing things here in this world was a huge freedom. Because if I really, really get that, really believe that deeply and I'm living my life from a place where I'm not identifying with these ever-changing phenomenon, then I can take whatever risks my heart may desire. I can chase after my wildest dreams because if I fail and fall flat on my face, well, I'm not identified with any of that. So there's no me who is failing and falling flat on her face. Now, I know that's kind of like a trippy philosophical concept, right? The idea that there's no me at the middle of it. But think about it. When we get scared about things, we're scared about things happening to this me. It's this ego sense of, of something's going to go wrong and it's going to suck. <laughs> but things change all the time, so it'll only suck for a little while and then it'll be something else again. And, you know, so much of this comes out of experiencing the practice. So I know me just kind of sharing my bullet points won't have nearly the impact. But it was really awesome for me to experience that this spiritual principle of everything changing all of the time could free me up to take risks I'd been afraid to take in my business, to go after really unconventional lifestyle of geographic freedom, being able to have different entrepreneurial ventures and travel all over the globe and have all of the fitness skills that I want to live and the body of my dreams. And there's no reason to not go after these things. 
because the worst that happens is I fail and it sucks for a little while and then life continues and life is different. And it, I was picturing the Tim Ferrisses and Richard Branson's of the world as I was kind of having these revelations and going, okay, so that's, that's how you have Necker Island where no business happens in the afternoon because you're supposed to be out kite surfing. <laughs> that's how you get to that, by having the sort of fearlessness that comes from not over-identifying with the results of our actions, really. I mean, we want to be responsible for them, but not identified with them. So hopefully that makes some sense. That was, that was huge takeaway number one. And that set me up for, hey, maybe, maybe I could compete and not be so identified with, am I going to look like the fat girl that doesn't belong on stage at the end? Because who's that me on stage anyway? That's only a moment in time, and then I go back to life. If I'm not identified with that moment, then it, it, it doesn't matter. You know, every changing single moment is what matters. Maybe, maybe I could take this on and have it not determine my sense of self-worth and my sense of value. And that may be obvious to many of you. It wasn't to me and I think it's really easy to get wrapped up in identifying with our accomplishments and our place in life and we don't have to do that that can just be moments in life but ultimately we're something else ultimately we're something that is undefinable and not changing if it's changing all the time it can't possibly be who we are so maybe it's safe to risk going after competing. And maybe I don't have to judge myself and compare myself and sabotage myself along the journey. Maybe. Maybe. I'm, I'm not prepared to commit to that yet, but maybe. <laughs> so this was the first couple of days. And as the retreat went on, I kind of discovered inside myself a completely different way to approach goals. I mentioned that these practices are very physically oriented. Uh, they're really about becoming profoundly aware of the sensations in the body. And I won't go into all the philosophical reasoning behind that because it's, uh, I am not a Vipassana teacher and I am not qualified nor authorized to teach the practices or probably even go into too much detail about the philosophy uh, simply because I... I'm new to it, and it's something that I'm experimenting with and exploring. I'm totally enamored with it right now, but I don't want to give the wrong impression to anybody because I'm new at articulating all of this. So, again, if it's something you're interested in, go check it out for yourself. But the practices were about, like I say, becoming really profoundly aware of what was going on in the body and becoming profoundly aware with equanimity meaning with acceptance and even keelness for whatever sensation may be going on in the body. Because basically the cause of our suffering, I can give you this little nugget, the kind of the core idea that I took away is we suffer because we have some kind of unpleasant sensation in the body 
and instead of just realizing it's an unpleasant sensation and it changes like everything changes and waiting it out, we kind of freak out and react and start taking crazy actions to try to get rid of this unpleasant sensation. You know, for me, like I'm going to go pull chocolate out of the freezer and start stuffing it in my face to get rid of the unpleasant sensation of whatever is going on in my body. I have definitely used food to change my physical state. I think a lot of us have, you know, other people may get angry and start shouting and lashing out because they get this biochemical release that changes their physical state because they're not okay with whatever state they're in. And Vipassana, as I understand it, is really about becoming okay with whatever state you're in so that you don't have to lash out and react and you're not just being tossed about by the winds of life with all of this suffering. You're kind of a little bit more even keel and just chilling with whatever comes up. And one of the nice things that comes sometimes out of just sitting with sensations and noticing them is there can often be a stillness and a quietness and a shifting of uncomfortable sensations to much more subtle, pleasant ones. And I think that's what a lot of people think about when they think of meditation. Oh yeah, it's to get quiet and still and be kind of soft and... It's easy to see that as the goal of meditation. And in fact, we can go ahead and call that the goal. But what I loved about this retreat was how adamantly they stressed whatever sensations are there, having total awareness and total equanimity. So if the sensations are not quiet and calm and peaceful, if the mind is racing and your butt hurts because you've been sitting there completely still on it, not allowed to move for an hour, and you are in agony over X, Y, Z, zillion things that humans can agonize over, I think our reaction is to go, ah, I'm not on pace for the goal. The goal is to be calm and still. Ah, and that reaction is making you freak out more and make everything worse, right? So... The way to approach that goal is through awareness and equanimity, according to these practices. And the way that that I think about that, this wasn't their language, but it's the language that made sense for me as I reflected later, is we have goals that we're moving to, which would be a calm, nice, peaceful stillness in this meditation example, but we have the target principles that are the ways that we get towards the goal, the ways that we head there, and that in fact are actually more important than the goals themselves. The goal sets the direction, but the target principles, in this case awareness and equanimity, determine the whole tone of our experience, determine what we're actually doing to get towards those goals. And the target principles are things that we have control over. So often our goals, we don't really have control if we're choosing results-based goals. You know, you, you don't really have control over whether your mind is going to be peaceful and calm and your body is going to be comfortable when you sit to meditate. That is outside of even the greatest yogi's control. But what you do have control over is, are you going to freak out about that and try to push yourself into having a calm mind and force your body into being comfortable, which as you can hear is going to be a little counterproductive. Or 
Are you going to focus on having awareness of it and equanimity with it, knowing that that's the direction that heads towards the goal of peaceful stillness, but knowing that that awareness, that equanimity, those target principles are in fact more important than whether you actually achieve the peaceful stillness or not. Because as in this meditation example, the awareness and the equanimity are what are building the life habits to allow you to deal with whatever comes up when you're not sitting in meditation, when you're out engaging in life in the world without being crazy reactive and tossed about and suffering. The awareness and the equanimity are actually the practices that matter not whether you get a few minutes of quiet peace sitting there on your meditation cushion. Does that make sense? For me, this was huge. This idea of having goals that set a direction, target principles that actually determine the how, and then the understanding of impermanence, so a lack of identification with results, which another way to say is acceptance of whatever ultimately happens, presented for me a whole new framework for how to approach goals, how to approach anything that I want out of life. And my brain was just humming with new ideas and fresh inspiration and all of these projects that I wanted to take on and all the things that I wanted to build. In fact, the second half of the week was really challenging for me because I had been hit by such a flood of inspiration and insight that I just wanted to go home and implement. (laughs) I mentioned how much they reiterated, you got to stay for 10 days. But on day I think it was five, I was like, this is awesome. Great. I got everything I need. I'm ready to go take on the world. Get me out of here. (laughs) But no, I had another five days to sit through. And I'm so glad I stayed because of course I just deepened in the the learning and the understanding, but it was really challenging to not just want to go run out and put all this stuff into practice. So I'm going to use the next episode to share with you how these particular learnings relate to my fitness journey and this question of whether to compete or not. I just want to wrap up this episode though with one example of how this idea of target principles has shifted something else in my life. I came back and got back to work in the business and and, you know had the little humpy bumpies of readjusting to life after having done something completely different that I think we all have whenever we come back from a long vacation or something like that. But I noticed the opportunity to shift the way I was approaching my company. I am very, very much a Capricorn as a businesswoman, very goal oriented, and I track financial metrics, I track customer satisfaction metrics, I track customer results. Uh, You may remember from previous episodes, I have a personal training company and we serve primarily the elderly. So there's a lot that we can pay attention to in how they're doing, how their quality of life is, how satisfied with our services they are, uh, how many clients we have, if there's new growth, how's our income, how are my expenses. Um, There are so many different lines on which I can have goals and be aiming to continue improving the company and our services. And I do that. And I have often stressed myself out with 
trying to hit targets that I've set that are outside of my control. You know, I can manage my team to encourage them to provide the best service possible. I can deliver the most heartfelt initial consults that I can, but I can't ultimately control whether new clients sign up with us. So chasing after that goal uh, brings with it all of the being tossed back and forth by life uh, that I've been talking about in this episode. And having come back from this retreat, I took a look at my business and it became really clear to me what the target principle that would serve our clients, the trainers that work with my team, and my own growth in the company uh, in, in the biggest way that I can see right now. And that target principle is always letting people be exactly who they are. Which is tricky because we're in the business of lifestyle and behavior change. So we're trying to get individuals to change their behaviors. But in order to do that effectively, we really have to accept who they fundamentally are as people and be with them there. If, if we're not on board with who they are as a person, they're not going to be on board with us modifying their behaviors. You know, and that's that's just true on the client level and then on the level of the trainers that contract with me. You know, they don't all see business the same way that I do. Oh my gosh, people have different opinions and different approaches. And as a leader and as a manager, it would be much easier if everyone thought exactly like I do. And I have struggled and beat my head against the wall wondering why people don't think and do exactly as I do. And really, it would be so much more effective and more peaceful to manage from a place of letting all of my contractors be exactly who they are. And yeah, I may need to make requests about changing some of the things they do or the way that they show up sometimes in relationship to my company, but I don't have to ask them to change who they are or subtly try to manipulate them into changing who they are or any of these other bad management pitfalls that any of us may fall into over time. I went to go do an initial consult with a client shortly after coming back from the retreat after having identified this new target principle. It was like the day I identified it. And it quickly became apparent that this person was not going to be joining us. She just really wasn't interested in taking on our services. Another family member had brought me in to consult with her. And in the past, that would have frustrated me and frightened me and made me think all kinds of things about myself, like I wasn't capable of growing the company or blah, 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 that had nothing to do with this moment. And instead, when I remembered that my target principle was to let this woman be exactly who she was, I saw that she was this fascinating individual that had a rich international life history and incredible stories to share. And instead of being tortured by my own mind, chasing after what I thought I needed to get out of that hour together, I really spent a lovely afternoon with an incredible human being. 
And I was so grateful for that time together. And I was so grateful for the perspective to let that be what it was instead of trying to force it to become a sale. (laughs) And I know I don't generally talk much about business in this podcast. I try to keep it on the fitness front, but I just wanted to give you guys another example of where this idea of the target principle applies. I know I'm going to be using it really heavily in all areas of my life going forward. And the non-attachment too, you know, not being attached to having to sign this client up from that initial consult. When I let go of that, I could be with her for an hour and I could hear her stories and I could see this wisdom and this incredible coping with what life had thrown at her and be inspired by it instead of frustrated by it. And gosh, if we could just turn all of our moments of frustration in life into moments of inspiration instead, how much richer would our life experience be? That's what I've got planned for myself. I am changing those moments from frustration into inspiration. And I am so glad I decided to go on the 10-day retreat. I will share in the next episode whether I decided to compete, dun, 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 and what effects this all had on that big fitness competition decision. But this new framework and these subtle but deep paradigm shifts are absolutely huge for me. Hopefully there's something of value in there for you just hearing the story of them. I invite you to take a look and reflect at how you approach goals and whether you can put more of your experience and your fulfillment within your own control. Until next time, keep emerging, my athlete friends. Become you. Talk to you again soon.